Thanks for popping on your headphones and joining us for an episode of Ballsy History, a podcast about big personalities and little-known stories. Settle in for a tour of the outrageous acts, incredible stories, and outsized characters that shape history. We're your hosts, Elizabeth, Emily, Elise, and Elliot. We're glad you're tuning in. Before we begin, we'd like to take a moment to introduce you to a podcast with a deceptively simple premise, taking a deep dive into all the various incarnations of Dickens' Christmas Carol. But we'll let them tell you more about their fun and often hilarious show. Without further ado, introducing Jacob Marley is Dead. Well... It finally happened. You woke up, and it hit you. The holidays are over. The lights are coming down, the radio is going back to playing the latest in a long line of hit singles that all sound like the same song about going to the club to get crunk, and the long, gray, dull, wet, cold, depressing months of January and February stretch out before you. Wouldn't it be nice if the holidays didn't come once a year, but every week? On Jacob Marley is Dead, we believe that the holidays shouldn't just be here and gone, but that they should remain in our hearts all the year. That is why each week we watch, review, discuss, and compare one of the many, many, many TV and film adaptations of Charles Dickens' classic novella, A Christmas Carol. Join us as we spiral a Groundhog Day-esque existential nightmare by reviewing the same story every week in perpetuity, and decide which adaptations we see in our Christmas future, and which ones should definitely remain in our Christmas past. Subscribe to Jacob Marley is Dead on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Be sure you take some time to check those guys out. And now, on with our show. Today on our show, we'll learn about what different cultures do when their children's teeth fall out, and origins of the Tooth Fairy, a fairly modern character, certainly younger than Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. After our episode on Vikings, we were intrigued by the fact that they made necklaces out of their children's lost teeth and wore them for protection when they traveled and pillaged. And we wondered, what was going on in other parts of the world? Did other people do anything to commemorate this notable part of growing up? You need to begin in Europe to uncover the precursors to the Tooth Fairy. Many cultures, ancient and modern, have developed rituals around losing teeth. Interestingly, these rituals often echo actual burial customs in their respective societies. Teeth are burned, buried, and tossed to the ground and sky. Animals often play a role as providers of the new, stronger, better replacements. American prosperity after World War II birthed the modern version of the Tooth Fairy we think of today, for a variety of reasons. 
So whether you think of the Tooth Fairy as a figure akin to Tinkerbell from Peter Pan, or a bat, bear, mouse, or pixie, there is a story to support your vision. The Tooth Fairy is a uniquely American mix of two main folklore types, an animal, in this case, most often a mouse, who visits a child at night, swapping money for teeth, and a traditionally European good fairy. In Northern Europe, there is a tradition of a tooth fee, which was paid when a child lost their first tooth. This is recorded around 1200 in some of the earliest written records of Norse and Northern European traditions. In the Norse culture, children's teeth were thought to bring good luck in battle, and warriors hung their children's teeth around their necks. The Vikings are thought to have paid children for their teeth, much like we do today. There were plenty of other superstitions concerning children's teeth in the Middle Ages, though. In England, in order to save children from afterlife hardships, they burned baby teeth. Notice the hell-like symbolism. Those who didn't take this step were told they would spend eternity searching for the teeth in the afterlife. This practice was also aimed at preventing a witch from taking the tooth, since many people at the time believed a witch could control you if they had your tooth. In other parts of Europe, they buried the teeth for the same reason, and sometimes rodents or crows were called to help the person get a brand new, better tooth. There were many, many customs and stories that likely later informed the Tinkerbell-like tooth fairy who came later. In Britain, serving girls were given fairy coins while they slept, although they didn't need to lose a tooth to receive one. An Irish folk tradition includes fairy changelings calling for a tooth to be placed near a sleeping child in order to fool a malevolent spirit. In late 19th century France, the Virgin Mary herself was said to exchange a coin or presents for a tooth placed under a child's pillow. Children in India, China, Korea, Japan, and Vietnam threw their lower teeth onto the roof of their house so the permanent teeth would grow upward and their upper teeth would be tossed onto or underneath the floor to secure downward growth. In Korea, the tossing of teeth is tied to the Korean national bird, the magpie. If the magpie finds a tooth on the roof, it will bring good luck. Some scholars think this folklore is derived from the word ka-chi, a word for magpies that sounds similar to new teeth. Others think it is because of magpies' significance in Korean mythology as a messenger between gods and humans. Today, in Spain, Italy, France, and Mexico, for example, the tooth fairy appears as a small white mouse or rat because rodents have strong teeth that never stop growing. As you can hear, the list is quite extensive, with some similarities happening worldwide. There is a 17th century French fairy tale called The Good Little Mouse that is probably the closest, though. In this tale, there is a good queen, of course, who is imprisoned by an evil king. She enlists a mouse for help, and the mouse turns out to be a fairy who frees the queen and knocks out the king's teeth. And depending upon the version you are reading, the fairy mouse then hides the teeth under the king's pillow before eventually having him assassinated or chewing on his ears, nose, and tongue while he screams. 
In Spain, there is a similar mousy visitor, Ratoncito Perez, who made a first appearance in 1877 as the husband of La Ratita Persumita, the vain little mouse. Spaniards, it should be noted, are one of the few to actually give a name to their tooth creature. As far as we know, he is not a tongue chewer. In the 1920s, the French story was released in English and found a new audience. Plus, in the book's illustrations, the mouse fairy gained wings. Much more fairy-like, right? An article written by columnist Bob Balfi of the Palm Beach Post in 1942 stated that he gave his children war stamps to put in their books when they lost a tooth. But overall, the tooth fairy is not mentioned too often in the first half of the 20th century. And, if not for a short story in Collier's magazine in 1949, this minor folk figure might never have gained widespread recognition. Folklorist Rosemary Wells and Tad Tuleha researched the origins of the tooth fairy and shared their findings suggesting that there were several factors at work in this very American myth. The first is that after World War II, many families enjoyed financial post-war prosperity with the Great Depression and its scarcity in the proverbial rearview mirror. In other words, families now had a nickel to spare that could be given to a child. Also, as a quick detour, brushing was required of soldiers in the armed forces during the war. So the idea of daily dental health care changed. Toothpaste manufacturers also switched up their ingredients, swapping out the soap and creating a smoother, better tasting paste. Perhaps everyone was now paying more attention to their teeth. Tad also notes that this period was the root of the child-centered American family. Parents now catered to their children more, and it became common to mark transitions with rituals. As toddlers grow to adults, the tooth fairy is a specific way to mark that change. Thirdly, in pop culture, fairies began popping up all over the place. Fairy godmothers in Walt Disney's Cinderella, fairy tales in new editions such as the highly recognizable Golden Books, and poetry books such as Flower Fairies of the Garden by Cicely Mary Barker. Fairies were everywhere if you were a child in the 1950s. According to Michael Hingston, author and journalist. It's no coincidence that at the same time the Tooth Fairy was starting to gain traction in the United States, Disney was also releasing animated films like Pinocchio and Cinderella, each of which features benevolent maternal fairy with the power to make wishes come true. Pop culture helped solidify the Tooth Fairy in the mainstream, and she's been a fixture there ever since. Our American Tooth Fairy is a fairly recent myth, even during the 1970s when a radio DJ in Chicago made an on-air reference to the Tooth Fairy and staffers at the American Dental Association were inundated with calls because nobody knew anything about her. They found themselves coming up empty. We went out of our minds, the director of library services said at the time. In this area, we have nothing. There are many modern tales about what the Tooth Fairy does once she has taken your teeth and left you money underneath your pillow in return. Sometimes it is said that she gives the teeth to babies who don't have any yet. Sometimes, 
that she uses them to build a shiny white castle, and other times that the teeth that are not so clean are ground up and made into fairy dust. Oh, and here's another. She places them into the night sky where they shine among the stars. There is no shortage of variations to share with children. More recently, children's author Katie Davis created the February 28th Observance of National Tooth Fairy Day and the Smithsonian Curator of Medicine at the American History Museum, Catherine Ott, recently put together a video showing the trouble the tooth fairy had caused there, leaving boxes of teeth and clues amid the tooth keys used to remove teeth in the early 1800s. Her goal is to get kids thinking about how objects end up at the museum and the process of collecting. The tooth fairy, forever stealthy, strikes again. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Ballsy History. Tune in next week to hear a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.